the juxtaposition of my quite modern, edgy-ish kind of neon drawings mixed with these old Welsh phrases was just something that hadn't been done before. And I had my first exhibition at that gallery and it sold out and it was just mind-blowing to me. Brian Smith here, and welcome to the Dream Path Podcast, where I try to get inside the heads of talented creatives from all over the world. My goal is to demystify and humanize the creative process and make it accessible to everyone. Now let's jump in. Nikki Pilkington is on the show. Nikki is a Welsh illustrator who produces playful yet highly detailed neon fashion portraits and lifestyle art with themes of women empowerment, body positivity, and mental well-being. For this interview, I recommend checking out her website and Instagram before you listen or while you listen to get a better sense of her work as you hear about her journey. Her website is NikkiPilkington.com, that's N-I-K-I-P-I-L-K-I-N-G-T-O-N, and her Instagram is at Nikki Pilkington. Nikki began her art career in the UK, but quickly found herself traveling the globe for 10 years, living in Paris, New York, West Los Angeles, and now back in London. What I love about Nikki's work is how closely tied it is to not only her Welsh culture, but her love of fashion and nature, which makes her work distinctive and uniquely hers. This is one of the reasons she has managed to create such a huge social media following with over 60,000 Instagram followers. When you look at her work, it is unmistakably Nikki Pilkington's. I connected with Nikki through my friend Max, who met her while she was living in Los Angeles. When Max told me about her work, I checked out her website and social media and emailed her right before the pandemic began last year. It turns out Nikki was moving back to the UK at the time, but thankfully, despite all of the chaos of the pandemic and her move back to Wales and London, she kept my email and reached out to me recently, finally saying yes to this interview. And I'm so glad she did. I love talking to artists like Nikki who operate in so many unique and challenging spaces, commissions for private buyers, retail stores, pop-ups, content creation for brands, and commercial work for companies like MTV, Topshop, Nike, Google, Facebook, Ted Baker, Sir Paul McCartney, and American Express. In this interview, we talk about how Nikki balances her time and creativity between commercial work, which often pays well, with her private sales and commissions, which are often more personally fulfilling. We also talk about how she was able to blaze such a unique path in the art world, how she approaches sustainability when creating art, and how she copes with the anxiety and stress of life as an internationally renowned artist and social media influencer. So without further ado, let's jump into my chat with the talented and charming Nikki Pilkington. Nikki Pilkington, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Nikki, I understand that you were born and raised in Wales, but you made your way to London. Can you tell us about why you made that transition? Yeah. Um, yeah. So from Wales, I um, went to university in London and went to Paris for a year, which was amazing. And then after that, I uh, was lucky enough to be able to go to New York, which was what I'd always wanted to do. It's um, especially from somewhere like Wales, it's so small and it feels not impossible, but it feels like a really hard, hard place to relocate to because you just, you can't really see how you're going to do it. I've been to Wales. I took a train to Wales oh. with my oldest daughter from London. And it is a different world. It's just a train ride away, but it, yeah. from London, it's a completely different vibe and feel. Mm -hmm. Lovely, lovely country. I only got to spend a couple of days there, but it's beautiful. To go from Wales to London to Paris, 
what was going on within you creatively that called you to those places from the small country of Wales? Um, so I, I did fashion, fashion illustration and fashion promotion at college. And then it sounds like I've just followed my husband around, but we met at university and then he was offered a job in Paris. And at the time, it was so easy to travel back, backwards and forwards from, well, I'd fly to Liverpool, but to get to Wales and Paris, it was, it was so easy and so cheap as well. So I lived there and was able to carry on working with Welsh galleries and Welsh shops at the same time. I just, after graduating, I started exploring a lot of old Welsh proverbs and sayings. It's, it's such a beautiful, interesting language. And there's so much of it that is getting lost, sadly. It's quite amazing that North Wales, where I'm from, is very Welsh speaking, whereas South Wales, they sound Welsh, but not, not so much Welsh speaking. I mean, they do, there's Welsh schools and things, but there's a lot more Welsh language. Going. So the, the language is slowly fading away quite sad, uh, sadly. But so I worked in this gallery, in an art gallery. It's actually the oldest art gallery in Wales. It's beautiful. And it's based a lot on, it, it sort of runs a lot with volunteers. And a lot of them are elderly, retired Welsh people. And after I'd been in college for, I'd been in London for four and a half years. And I was chatting to these women and they'd keep saying these old old proverbs and things and I'd be like hang on I've grown up in Wales how have I never heard that so I started making a note of all these things and they some of them make no sense but they they were just so so interesting and I just felt like it was so sad that these old phrases were just vanishing mm. but in my world they were in my, my sort of age no one was no one was saying these these old things so um yeah started writing them down and then started putting them in my work so I was the juxtaposition of my quite modern, edgy-ish kind of neon drawings mixed with these old Welsh phrases was just something that hadn't been done before. And luckily, it was really, it was sort of accepted. <laughs> I thought, oh God, it's never going to, oh, these these elderly Welsh people are going to think, what, have, what has she done to the Welsh language? <laughs> but it was sort of picked up and it was, yeah, it was, it was really lovely. I had my work, my first exhibition at that gallery. And it sold out and it was just like mind blowing to me because I thought I'd not long come out of college. And I thought I, did, I was kind of like, oh, I want to do this as a job, but I don't know if I can do it as a job. So it kind of gave me enough of a, Oof, yes, you can get out there and go and go and do it. And so then having that, things kind of fell into place where because I'd had an exhibition and it had gone well, I was able to contact other galleries and it was sort of a rolling effect. So when I was in Paris, I was still working on all these pieces and working on Welsh well, stuff. I didn't really do much. I can't speak French. So I couldn't have like French exhibitions and stuff. It was just too difficult. And I was still young and a bit shy and a bit, it was quite intimidating to go to French galleries and be like, bonjour, here's my, here's my stuff. <laughs> so I just didn't, I just carried on with the Welsh bits. And then my husband was offered a job. He was working at an agency and he was basically able to uh, transfer to New York. So, and he's a graphic designer, right? Yeah. yeah. So as, as a freelance illustrator, I don't think I'd have ever got a, a visa to go and, and live in America. It would have been so, I mean, obviously ways, but it would have been so difficult. So I was so lucky that we were able to do it that way. I, you wouldn't believe the amount of people that contacted me over the years saying, how the hell have you got there? How are you living there? So yeah, it was, um, it was, it was amazing. And then New York kind of just broadened it all for me because I still carried on doing the Welsh stuff and I was um, still shipping things back and selling my poor mum 
um, was in in charge of all my Etsy sales in the UK. And then I was able to sort of live the dream a little bit over in New York. And I was working with like Nike and did some stuff with Google. And just, again, I think I thought it would have been something that would have deterred people like, oh, what it's her stuff is Welsh. But it was kind of, I think to a lot of Americans, it was, it was interesting, mm-hmm. which I'd never really thought of people thinking that it would be over there. So yeah, so I got to to do all of it. I get to carry on with all the the Welsh stuff that's kind of like where the heart of my work is. Yeah. But then also work with some brands and do pop up events and oh man, and Instagram happened as well. There's so, so much to unpack there, Nikki. <laughs> um, I need to I need to back up a little bit. So, fashion illustrator, tell us what an illustrator is in the art world because my listeners are used to hearing interviews with sometimes painters, but mostly filmmakers and musicians. And so that's their frame of reference. And Mm -hmm. so when I say I'm going to talk to an artist named Nikki Pilkington, and she's an illustrator, what does that mean? So again, it was a a bit of a happy accident. I initially wanted to do, you know, like you see the people sitting on the side of a runway drawing the, the like the lineup of fashion shows. Oh yeah. That was my dream. I wanted to go and like sit front row at Chanel and draw these like beautiful women in stunning clothes. And then the more I did a, an art foundation course where you do like a little bit of everything and kind of realized actually it's not really what I want to, that's not what I want to do all the time. It's the fashion world can be cruel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think I, 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 I love the drawing part of it, but maybe the fashion was quite, it's quite an intense side of it. So I still carried on with that thought and thought, right, fashion illustration. So that would be more doing editorial work for my fashion magazines and and still a bit of like the runway stuff. It, it, it's broad. It's, I mean, it could be, you could be working for an actual um, fashion brand and drawing lookbooks and that kind of thing. Okay. So I just knew I wanted to do something where I combined illustration and fashion. <laughs> so I um, signed up for a course and within a term, the tutor left and there weren't enough of us on the course to get another tutor in. So they said, you're going to have to pick. I'd already paid for the first year. You're going to have to pick another subject. So I, many tears later, there were, there were the different options. So there was menswear, women's wear, textiles, or fashion promotion. And I was like, mm. I didn't want to do sewing <laughs> or knitting or anything like that. So I went for the fashion promotion and it was probably the best thing that's ever happened for me because instead of like a traditional art school where you'd just be drawing still life and drawing models and, and different types of painting techniques, it was more sort of creating myself, but making myself into a bit of a brand really. So instead of, mm. it gave me all the tools to go out and, because there's no handbook of being an, a, a, a freelancer because yeah. you're an accountant and you're a photographer and a talent scout you do all of it so there's no to-do list for it so the promotion meant that I did a little bit of everything they taught me photoshop and illustrator and you know did photography so it gave me a really good sort of baseline of real world stuff and then Mm. also meant that I had the sort of confidence to go out and reach out to agencies and and that kind of thing so I say fashion illustrator but it's I, I think illustrator is probably the I, I say that I I use all the tools in a kid's pencil case, but right. you get to to yeah, just draw nice clothes and the people in it. 
And for, for my listeners, it might be helpful just to go to Nikki's website as you're listening to this interview and just click through her maps and her uh, illustrations or commercial work because you, you will really get a compelling sense of the, the broad work that she does across business and collections and commissions and that type of thing. And it's so beautifully specific and unique to you. You talked about becoming a brand or having a brand. And I think after all of the research I've done and the interviews I've heard before this one of you leading up to this, it sounds like the Welsh connection, the the Welsh language is really infused and just part of who you are and also part of the work that you put out there. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, like I said, when after New York, I moved to LA. So that's a whole other story. But in LA, I did a lot of pop-up events and farmers markets and things. And I would just go and take all my prints that were like palm trees and world maps and that kind of thing. And then the girl that I did a lot of them with, she was like, why do you bring some Welsh ones? I thought, no one's gonna. And then I'd start talking to people and they'd say, oh, where are you from? And it, it and it would get to the, the Welsh thing and then I'd explain. And then they'd look through my Instagram as we were talking and they'd be like, well, and so many people bought prints with Welsh quotes on them. And it blew my mind because I thought they don't know, they don't know it, but it was, it's just interesting. And it's, there's a story behind it. Mm-hmm. And also there's so many people in America with ties to the UK as well. So it was kind of like a nice little yeah. add it in, but yeah, it's been, I'm so grateful that I sort of pursued it because I, some, I'm always scared that I'm going to, to, that especially in Wales, that I, that people see me as like, oh, the girl that does the Welsh stuff. Because I'm lucky that that a lot of people in Wales buy my work and it's in Welsh homes and things. But I don't. I want people to like my work not just because it's got Welsh in it, but because they like the work as well, and that that's kind of the bonus. Yeah. So that's what I'm always kind of conscious of that I don't want to become just like, oh, here she is doing another Welsh quote because she knows it's something that they'll they'll want on their wall it's just something that deeply i i I just absolutely love i'm sure the welsh people love that you are getting the word out there about their country that not (laughs) many people know about i mean i'm welsh my grandmother was i think a hundred percent welsh i mean she came yeah so i have family members there but when i went to wales i had no concept of the language the history and so it was just completely foreign to me, even though it's part of my DNA. But you're, you're taking the Welsh language and you're using it as a sort of a brand, but also it's part of you. And great art, what it should do is evoke questions. Like, what am I looking at here? This isn't just a neon painting or a neon drawing of two girls. There's a saying here. What is she trying to communicate? And that's what I love about your work. It makes it really special. You know, it's, it always blows my mind when, when I'll send an order to like Japan or something of a Welsh map and you think, <laughs> it's just so interesting. I'd love to see where all these things end up and what the story of, of sort of why they've ended up there. But I think, I think when I moved to America, I, had, I, was, I was really concerned that Welsh people would think, oh, she, she's moved away. We don't need to like, forget about her. But it was kind of the opposite. People sort of championed me like oh well done you've gone out and you've done something and I sort of had that feeling of that it would be like oh look at her she's just off doing her but no it was it completely the opposite Welsh people are incredibly supportive and it's um it's yeah I'm learning it more and more especially through through lockdowns again when when they made the call that 
there was going to be a lockdown, I thought there's no people aren't going to buy paper when they're losing their jobs and and people are dying. They don't. But it again, it was kind of the opposite. It's been an incredible last year was in a, a a brilliant year for me work wise hmm. because people just wanted to support shop local and support small brands and things. And it's really really nice to see that people aren't just buying the like the the TK Maxx posters that they just stick on their wall. People actually want something that that's got like a little bit of a meaning. Yeah, especially if you're going to be staring at that wall 24 hours a day. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so let's let's uh, go back to Los Angeles because that's my frame of reference for you. I had, uh, well, I have a friend named Max Flower who lives in Marina Del Rey. And when I started the podcast, he told me about you and he said, you've got to talk to this Nikki Pilkington. She's an artist and she lives here and I don't know if he knew you or just met you at a pop-up or whatever, but that's how you entered my consciousness, so to speak. <laughs> and I started following your Instagram. So what was it about LA that you were attracted to and how did the experience of living in West LA affect your work? So, so I didn't, I, I don't know him. He actually, I was waiting for an Uber and it was a nice day and I can't remember how we got talking, but we just started talking and what a nice guy. And he said, I know someone you should speak to. And that was how it, that was how I um, ended up here. Yeah. Um, LA was, so when we were in New York, we were at the point where we knew we didn't want to live um, in the States forever. Our, both of our families are in the UK and but we need to grow up at some point. So it was, it was never going to be forever. And we were kind of at the point of like, oh, should we maybe go back now? And, and we still madly, we were, we were madly in love with New York and thought that was probably the best time to leave because I think a lot of our friends were starting to have kids or moving out and buying houses or moving to other places. And it was getting to that point of if we stay much longer, it, the sparkle will go because it won't be the same. Mm. So we were sort of toying with coming back and my husband was asked to open an office with the same agency in LA. And we were like, this is kind of, should we do one more adventure? <laughs> so that's what we were like, yeah, let's do it. And it was, it was never somewhere that was on my radar. We'd been a couple of times uh, for like long weekends and things and absolutely loved it, but it was never somewhere that I'd imagined living. And it was a, a strange, I, I absolutely loved it, but at the same time, it was hard. I found it a very hard place to live as somebody that was working by themselves from home most of the time because it's so big mm. so like New York I could step out and go to a coffee shop two minutes away and sit down and probably bump into someone that I know from the neighborhood whereas LA it's a car drive or it's it was it was just I hadn't anticipated how vast it was right so and we decided to live in the marina which again was absolutely beautiful but probably from a social standpoint we should have been in like West Hollywood or something around all the sort of people our age. But in terms of inspiration, you can't not be inspired there. It's just, there's something everywhere. There's something weird happening everywhere. Totally. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> That's why Max lives there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was just, it just, um, I think I felt, I think in New York, I felt like I could have lived there forever. Hmm. And that I was instantly part, I think because there's so many people from so many places, there's not many families um, that have grown up there or that have got their neighbors down the street and things. So you're all kind of thrown in together and it's like, oh, you're on your own. It's Thanksgiving. Come over. Whereas LA is very much 
their families live there and they're at their or their parents live there and something and they've already got their they've got their their own setup already and they don't need two british people right <laughs> maybe we made friends this is making out that i don't that i didn't make friends. i made some wonderful friends there but it wasn't the same i guess big party that it was <laughs> in new york <laughs> right i've interviewed a couple of musicians out of los angeles and they've both written songs about the loneliness of the city of los angeles oh wow and it's interesting because it's such a giant town so many people you would think, well, there's all these opportunities to meet millions of people mm -hmm. and make all these friends. But I think there's something counterintuitive happening in Los Angeles. It's like, it's, it's so big, it's so sprawling. And then everybody just isolates in their little pocket because the traffic is so oppressive and you don't achieve what you went there to accomplish. Yeah. You feel that sense of isolation for some reason. And that's what they wrote songs about. So you, you ended up leaving Los Angeles and heading back to Wales and then London? Uh, so we were supposed to be just straight back to London. So we moved back and we moved into an Airbnb for, the plan was to move there for a month to give us enough time to find somewhere to rent for full time. And we found, we got into the Airbnb and found a place to rent. We we're like, brilliant, it's perfect, let's get it. Signed all the paperwork. So we had a couple of weeks left in the Airbnb before we moved in, and then lockdown happened. So we couldn't extend the Airbnb indefinitely. So, and we couldn't get the keys to our new place. So we'd signed the lease, we'd paid our deposit, and our, we, we, because we didn't have a credit rating over here because we've been away so long, we paid the first six months' rent in advance. <laughs> um, and we couldn't get the keys. And we all our stuff was in a um, shipping container for another two months. So, so we uh, basically rang my brother, who's in Wales, and said, please come and get us. <laughs> so we moved in with my mum for oh, maybe four, four months. So was it? So it was March, wasn't it? Yeah, four or five months. Yeah. With my, with my mum, who's amazing. I get my mum's like my best friend. But it was weird. In our minds, it, we'd pictured this. We've been away all these years. We're going to have a big party. We're going to see all the people we haven't seen. We didn't see anyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was, it was odd. But then we were also probably in the very best place to be during a lockdown because it's stunning. We're like a 10-minute walk from the beach. And mm. my husband was able to just sit quietly in a room and get on with his work. And it, it was, instead of being stuck in, in central London where there wasn't, well, there was nothing going on anyway. So mm -hmm. as soon as they lifted the restrictions, we we got here and got the container to come and tip all our stuff in. <laughs> so, yeah, so we were reunited with some um, some bits, but it also makes you realise how much stuff you've got that you don't need. Like we lived for like well, from from when they took it, probably six months without with just stuff in two suitcases each, mm. and it makes you realise all the clutter that you I'm such a hoarder so it's yeah it was a it was an eye-opener <laughs> yeah that's a nice awakening to have I'm kind of going through that right now where you're looking around and and eventually you start to feel the weight of it it's just too much stuff and I think there's a freedom to getting rid of stuff and so mm -hmm. my wife is into this uh 40 bags in 40 days thing that she's doing oh wow um so one bag a day over 40 days getting rid of stuff and I'm not quite there. I'm not sure I could even do like one handful <laughs> per day cuz I'm I'm such a hoarder. <laughs> but I'm exactly the same. Exactly the same. It's inherited my dad is the same. I just 
because this place was a, was a shell and I filled it again. And I just, I, it's those things that you think this will come in handy and you took it away and I just can't bear to throw anything away. And I'm also like, a, I'm quite into the environment bits and stuff. And from that standpoint, I'm like, I'll save this, I'll reuse this for something. But it, I think it will be a problem in a few years. <laughs> I've heard, I read that in an interview with you about sustainability and the environment. What are you doing as an artist to address sustainability? Um, I, my, my art should really be more pointed. I'm, I'm always scared of being preachy because I know that people do their own thing and people do what they can and I'm preachy to my family and to my poor husband, but I don't ever want to be like, make sure you do this and do that. But in terms of my own work, I've, um, I've switched to biodegradable packets. So my prints come with like a backing board behind it to make it rigid, which is, comes from sustainable, uh, forests. And then the bag itself is compostable and things. And, and then the labels that go on the bags can also be composted. And it, it's just everything I'm doing now, I'm, I'm thinking more about before I do it. So I'm conscious of everything. And it just is so frustrating when you see massive companies. Like I, I'm friends with other small little um, companies and brands that are doing as much as they can to help. And you realize I'm ordering, I don't know, a few thousand of these bags when there's massive companies that could make a switch. Like the lids on coffee cups, for instance, you think of Starbucks, how easy it would be for them to just switch to, to something else. And you think I'm spending like days, hours agonizing over these labels and things. Yeah, And you realize how in the scheme of things, it's a drop in the ocean, but it's a little bit, if, if everyone does a little bit, then everybody will, it will, it'll benefit everyone. Yeah. But yeah, there's, there's things I'm looking into this year that I'm going to be making some other changes, but it's all stuff that I'm sort of squirreling away at and, and trying to, but yeah, it's, um, I th- I've started sort of making a note because I do a lot of stuff in my personal life where I'm always trying to be as green. Like a, this, this is a weird one and I'm, I'm, my head is saying, don't say the story. <laughs> but I've not bought a, a, bin, a, a trash bag since college. What? <laughs> <laughs> so, and the only, I only bought one in college because I shared with roommates and we had a rotor of who had to buy stuff. So when I put things in we, we have very little waste as in like a house waste anyway it's either recycled or composted and stuff but um the stuff that has to go in waste I reuse bags from other things so you know like the bag that <laughs> I can't believe I'm telling you the story the bag that bread comes in uh-huh. we have a small uh, instead of having a big kitchen bin we have a small bin so we use those bags or like if you buy a sack of like because I think it it made it I get I get proper environmental um, anxiety. When, like, in America, it, I'd try to buy things not in plastic and it was just so hard to not do it because there weren't the options. So if you mm-hmm. say went to Trader Joe's and you try and buy, you want to buy potatoes, but you want to buy them loose, you can't always do it. But so the bags that things like that come in, I keep and fill them up with the rubbish. So I've not, yeah, proudly not. That's actually a brilliant idea. We, you know, <laughs> it's you mad, do- we throw bags away. We get a lot of bags of fruits and everything comes in plastic. Why not use that for trash? Exactly. No, it's, yeah. um, I told someone this story and he thought, because I'd said something about carrot bags and he just thought, just thought it was hilarious. But my <laughs> husband is, he, whenever he's in a bad mood, he'll say, oh, these damn stupid little bags. But actually then when he's cooled down, we'll say, actually, it's not, it's not a bad idea. It just means you have to go to the trash chute a little bit more or here, take it out to the bins a little bit. When you write your biography, your autobiography, (laughs) 
you should name it Nikki Pilkington saving the world one carrot bag at a time. <laughs> Done. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's um I I tried to when I was at my mum's for the lockdown, I've um I tried to get her to do it and I think she'd she'd sort of do it. she knows with me it's easier just to go, Oh yeah, good idea. And then <laughs> when I turn my back, switch them around. <laughs> right. Don't don't argue with her. <laughs> As you may have noticed, there are great resources and advice mentioned in all our episodes. And for many of them, we actually collect all of these resources for you in one easy place. Our newsletter. You can go to dreampathpod.com slash newsletter to join. It's not fancy, just an email about each week's episode, featured artists, and resources to help you on your journey. Now, back to the interview. So let's break down what an illustrator does, a freelance illustrator, to make a living. The various ways that you market your work and who you sell it to. You mentioned Nike and Facebook, so let's talk about the commercial work. How do you get that commercial work and how much of it do you try to do versus balancing it with other types of work? So I day-to-day do prints of my work, which is kind of like, I hate the expression, but like the bread and butter of what I do. So it's the, the constant stuff. So I'll, I'll do new prints when I get time and then release them, and but then prioritize the commercial stuff. So if, say, Nike get in touch and say, we want you to do this, this, and this, it's kind of a... I'm lucky enough that I'm able to put the other stuff I can sort of move things around to make things work and I think those are the jobs although again going back to the environmental stuff I turned down a lot of things that uh, I can't tell you how many water bottle companies have have said we'd like you to illustrate this and sometimes the money is amazing but I just it doesn't make me comfortable I wouldn't sleep well at night so I don't do it so there's there's things like that where I'll say I'll say yes to some things because it then means I can say no to some of the ones that ethically I don't completely agree with so it when when I first I was really lucky when I graduated I got picked up by an agency quite quickly and I got to work with um Ted Baker does that is there Ted Baker in America I don't think so I've read about your work for them but I don't think I've seen that brand it's um uh yeah lovely brand. It's I'm trying to think of what you could kind of a uh, Abercr- no it's not an Abercrombie no it's a really nice uh, lovely brand but quite well known here. And um I got to do an event with them within sort of weeks of graduating. And I also top shop that I was able to do. I created these like um mannequin like three D mannequins for the window on the Oxford Street flagship store again within like, Oh, I've seen Top Shop everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> it was amazing and it was just having having an agency that their whole sort of ethos was to sort of try and support new graduates. So, I was able to get the jobs without having really much of a portfolio at all, which was and again without having like an Instagram to say, "Hey, look at what I do." Or and I I barely had a website. So, that was amazing. But then in America it was all sort of my own stuff and again Social media has helped massively. When I, I think I'd been in New York for about a year before my Instagram really sort of picked up. And it was thanks to doing things like I was, I, I do like watercolor maps and I'd done this picture of the Everworld map and didn't think much of it. It was for a girl. It was, I was doing it for a girl. She had like a travel blog and it was for that. And I just took a picture of it. Did, and I remember um, my husband was away and I, I posted this picture and it was late and I went to bed and I woke up and I had like 12,000 new followers. And I was like, what's happened? And every time I pulled down, 
it was like that drug of Instagram. It was like yeah. ding, hundred, hundred, <laughs> and it was just like, what has happened? Is there some sort of this is a mistake? And from that, I was this this picture that I posted was shared. And again, I never thought it was going to go viral, so I didn't put my signature on it or my logo or anything. And it was shared just millions of times, and again by people pretending it was theirs and all sorts. There was it was oh. there were annoying bits of it, but it also massively helped me. So from that point, I had a bit of I had something to show brands where I could say, "Look, I've got this kind of following." So then I started doing a bit of the like content creation for brands. Or featuring products in my posts and that that also that sort of like paid paid stuff. But it's hard because it's not like a fashion blogger where they have a set price of you want me to feature your jacket or your shoes. I I charge this for a video, this for a photo, this for right. Every job is so different, so it's really hard. I don't have like a line sheet of this is what you'd get. So, but also that's the fun of it that every job is so different. So uh, I recently uh, during the lockdown I did one for Malibu. You have Malibu rum oh, yeah. in America? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and they've got some new cans of like ready to drink cocktails. So it was like, a, we want you to feature these. So then I was able to sort of be like, well, how about this? So I did like a, a lineup of the cans and then drew some like parrots behind them so as if they're sort of perching on the cans. And oh, fun. <laughs> those jobs are really good because you can also then click the hashtag and see what other people have done with it. And it's really interesting to see other people's takes on these things. But yeah, so the, the content creation stuff is another way that I make money. But I don't, again, going back to the preachy bit, I don't like to do too much of it unless it's something that I absolutely love. Or like, I, I remember drinking Malibu, like I loved Malibu. So I was like, yes, I'll do it. And because <laughs> of the tropical vibes and all of that. Yeah. Brought you back to your college days. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so that's always the fun stuff to do. And then there's like pop-up events and live drawing events where it's, less about an online following more about an event going on and I'm just a part of it where people can come and customize things with me or it's more about the work uh, yeah that's there's and then the gallery there's also the exhibition bit which I've not been able to do for that I was meant to have an exhibition this year back at the the oldest gallery in Wales it was like a comeback <laughs> comeback tour yeah but it's had to be pushed back um but after that I want to get back into the exhibition thing because that's so satisfying to do because now I do something and I take a picture of it and I post it online and I shove it in a box or a drawer and it doesn't get seen and then but there's something so satisfying about doing a picture making sure there's no grubby marks on it (laughs) not photoshopping them out Mm -hmm. and then framing things and putting them on a wall and then having conversations with people in galleries and them saying oh I, I I recently Facebook flashed up with a um it's been 10 it's been 10 years since that first exhibition and so I put it in my Instagram stories and had so many people send me messages saying, I bought my first print of yours here, or I bought one of the originals. And I was like, you're still here. <laughs> Why are you still following me after all? It's so, it was so, so nice. But also kind of makes you realize that it's not all fickle. There are some genuinely, genuinely just good people that are, just want you to do well. Yeah. it's. I think it's important to find what are called super fans. That's not my term, but it's just... <laughs> People that are trying to build a following, how do you do it one person at a time? Mm-hmm. And if you can find someone who is really into your work, they're going to support you and they're going to talk about you. They're going to promote you on social media. I think galleries are a great way to really get people connected to your work because you you have that physical connection. You know, They can reach out and 
get a sense of the scale. It's impossible on Instagram to tell how big something is or how small something is, unless you have something as a frame of reference like you do in your pictures. You often put your hand and your arm in the picture, or sometimes I even see you. Silly nail. Yeah, I, I see you actually drawing in real time. You know, you have these um, videos that you put in of yourself drawing mm-hmm. and illustrating. And I think that's a great way too to make your approach to art unique because you're drawing people in, you're pulling them into your world. This is how I do it. This is what my day looks like. And it's just a, a, a really nice way to create a brand and to promote that brand, but also more importantly, to connect with people who are going to be with you for years like you've done. Yeah, I think, I think there's also the part of when something's on a screen in front of you, you don't know how it's been made. And there's so many amazing digital artists out there. A lot of people do think my stuff is photoshopped or that I sort of merge things and do it. The only photoshopping, I'd, I'd, I'll draw a picture and then I'll, I'll just clean it up. Like again, like if I've got tea stains on it or like smudgy bits where my hands have rubbed or clean it up. Or sometimes I'll be like, actually, I did it that color. I might change that color a little bit, but I never do any like digital draw- drawing. So it's nice when someone sees a picture in a frame and thinks, ah, it is that because I get so many requests. I do a lot of pictures where there's like, I did again when I was lonely in LA, I did a picture of two women hugging and it, it was in my head, it was me and my mum. And so, and it was, it was really, really well received, but I had so many people saying, this is great. Could you just, can I get a print of this, but can you make the hair shorter or can you make it curly hair or can you, or then I've got ones of like three girls in a row and it's like, can you do it with four girls or can you, and I think a lot of people think that I can just sort of click and, and change things around, which I wish I could, but it's nice for people to see a physical thing so that they know how much work has gone into it. That's so true. That's so true because a lot of the art you, you see in a magazine, for instance, you're thinking, well, is this just computers? I mean, is this just something that was produced by, you know, you push a button, make me a parrot and comes out? Or is there a human being behind this? But that's what you're doing is you're humanizing this process of the creation. And um, I think it's just brilliant. Another way that I, I see you humanizing your work and yourself is in your blog where you wrote about anxiety in 2019. And what was the impetus behind that? That was a pretty vulnerable <laughs> way to share a part about yourself on your blog. What were you thinking before that, before you wrote those first words about anxiety on your blog? Terrified. <laughs> I was, I think so it came about because I think I've sort of struggled with anxiety for a long time. I'm such a stressy, I'm a worrier. I worry about everything. I worry sometimes if I'm not worrying. So <laughs> I think I've always just put it as, oh, I'm worried. But really, I think um, it's probably more of the anxiety. And then I think the more people spoke about it, I was like, actually, that's me. And I think being in LA, especially, I, was, I, was, I didn't have, so, I had so many friends in New York and I didn't have those people I could just be like, hey, can I come over and grab a margarita and you can just give me a hug? I didn't have, I had people around me, but not, my people. And um, I was meant to have a film crew from the UK were coming over to film, a, a Welsh company were coming to film a, like a short, my life kind of 15 minute program on me. And it was all meant to be about like my work as an influencer and the, cause the stats, I can't remember them exactly, but the, the stats on the amount of kids nowadays that say that that's what they want. They want to be an influencer. There's more people say they want to be an influencer than like an astronaut. 
which was back in the day, like an astronaut was what all little boys wanted to be. So they were, they were coming over to film this thing. And a few days before it, I was feeling worse than I, I had in a long time. And I was having panic attacks and my hair was falling out and it was falling out so much. And I was like, I, I can remember Googling wig shops in LA. And I was like, I'm going to, because by the time they get here, I'm going to have no hair left. I'd convinced oh, no. myself I was going to have no hair. Oh. So I was Googling and all these things had like consultations and then it would take like six months to make. And I was like, what am I going to do? I can't wear a hat for every day. <laughs> and, and then I was like, I'm going to cancel it. And it was the day before they arrived. I was, I was so close. I rang my mum and I was like, I think I want, I don't want to do this. And she was like, well, if you don't want to do it, you don't have to do it. And I was like, but I think they're going to hate me. <laughs> so I didn't cancel it. And I'm so glad I didn't. And they came and the first day we met, I think they could still see like the bags under my eyes and I was like bloodshot and from crying. And I was like, I just explained to them, I said, I felt rubbish. I'm, I'm stressed and it's a, it's a mixture of the work and it's social media and it's everything. And I was like, I'd quite like to speak a little bit about this. And they were like, let's make it about that. Let's talk about it. If you, if it's such a big part of what's going on with you right now. And I honestly, because I think there's kind of, even though people talk about it more, there's still a massive stigma about it. And it's like a kind of, especially I think maybe the older generation, I think now the, I want to see the, the woke people <laughs> kind of. Yeah, that's true. People know about it, but then the old, yeah. like kind of like my mum's age, would I mean she's amazing but she should be like are you sure you want to sort of tell people that things aren't completely okay mm -hmm. and I understand that because you it was kind of people have always been taught to sort of make sure that people think that everything is okay so it, I was I was scared to do it because I think I thought and because of my work my work is so bright and colorful and cheerful and it's all like positivity and all the all these quotes about like act like a act like a lady think like a boss and mm -hmm. make yourself a priority and all this stuff. And I was like, if I'm telling people that I feel absolutely rubbish, then they're going to think that I'm a fraud. <laughs> and I'm just, so it kind of came from that. And, and I was like, no, because really it's also a lot of my pieces of be yourself and do what makes you happy. And so I was like, okay, well, so we filmed a day where they did like a day in the life of, and they filmed all the shots of the apartment and stuff. And then they were like, I said, I think I want, I'd done this piece where it's um, it's like someone flicking the, uh, put one finger up and it says, dear anxiety underneath. And I said, I've got this piece and I, I want to share it, but um, I think I kind of want to have a blog to go with it because I don't want to just say, hey, sometimes I feel sad. I wanted to have a bit more of a context. So people didn't think I was just doing it to sort of jump on the anxiety bandwagon. Right. So they went away grabbed some Mexican food from an amazing restaurant that I'd sent them to. <laughs> and then I went home and wrote this blog and it was, I just remembered I got to the end of it and I lost it all. <laughs> so I cried so much <laughs> because I'd spent like six hours writing this thing and it was not good for someone with anxiety. No, no it was good. It did exactly <laughs> the opposite. So I, yeah, I, um, I kind of had the bones of it. It was all in my head anyway. So I just, I just wrote it again. And so they came around the next day. I said, I've got this. I posted it and then they sort of filmed me looking at the comments and stuff. And it was so hard not to, cry. I didn't cry, but it was so hard not to, because it was so, it was just so nice to hear people. I mean, you get the obvious nice people saying like, well done, this is great. But the people just saying like how much they admire the honesty of it. And I think you also then get people to trust you because you know, it's not just this, I'm not just churning out print after print for people to like, Hey, please buy this and buy this. It's, more of my life as well 
yeah I think people just sort of believe in you as a person a little bit more and have a little bit more empathy and I think because they see like I moved from went to New York and then moved to LA and living in these beautiful places and I've come from um, North Wales and I think it's hard not to think oh she's aren't things going brilliantly for her right and then you kind of get that actually it's not brilliant for everyone and so yeah I'm, I'm so so glad that I did yeah, I'm I'm glad you did too because that juxtaposition between this high flying life of glitz and glamour in New York and Paris and West LA with someone who's actually suffering from anxiety, uh, I think it's going to help folks who don't have that lifestyle feel that much more validated. Like, look, I don't need to become an influencer. I don't need sixty plus thousand followers on Instagram like Nikki has to feel better about myself. That's not the answer. So you start looking for other ways to deal with it, the anxiety. How do you deal with it? And what advice do you have for listeners for how to emerge from that? I know you can probably never cure it, but how do you cope with anxiety? I think I'm still trying to find ways that make me feel... I'm, I think because I love drawing so much, it's kind of rubbish that I don't have like a hobby. Like, like people will be like, oh, I just... I love to paint by numbers or like, you know, those coloring books and things like that. My, my work is, is I'm lucky that it's a very therapeutic thing to do, but I also think I found looking into it all that I was, my, my whole life is just my work. My it's all, it's social media and it's drawing and it's moving on to the next thing. And there's never a, because I don't physically go into an office and then close the door behind me. I'm, it'll be like 11 o'clock and I'll be getting ready for bed and someone will say, any chance you can do this order, but I'd really need it sent out tomorrow. And I'm like, I never switch off from it. So I think it's dangerous. I mean, and I love it and I, and I, I wouldn't change my, my job for anything, but it has made me sort of realize one, one thing I've done and I don't, it wouldn't work for everyone, but I think maybe freelancers it would. So I've, I think I found I'd be trying to draw during the day and then I get emails in and I'd be like, Oh, okay, I'll just stop and I'm going to do that. And then I'll go back and do that. And my train of thought would go and I'd have to shuffle my pencils again and get going. And I felt I, I was just, I'm, I'm a list person anyway. I make to-do lists that are way too unachievable. But I'd find that I'd, I'd do a list and it'd be like reply to these emails at the end of the day and stuff. And it would get to the, I never, I never, est- I'm, I'm really bad at estimating how long things take as well. So I'll, I'll do a to-do list that would probably realistically take me two days to do. Then when I get to the end of the day, I feel sad that I haven't done a third of the things <laughs> on it. So it was kind of counterproductive. So I think smaller lists help. But I was finding that I'd that I'd feel sort of like the pressure would build throughout the day because these emails would be coming in and messages and, and stuff. So now what I've done, and it seems so simple, but it's I genuinely think it's changed my life, is I now get up at about 6.30 and I spend two, two and a half hours in the morning make a cup of tea, make a hot water bottle because it's cold. And I sit and I just do emails. Inbox zero was always like the thing that I never thought I'd get to. Mm. And when I got to zero, I've now been able to, and you will know because how long did I <laughs> take to get back to you? <laughs> we won't talk about that. Right. I'm just, I was awful. And it was because during the day I would be it, it would sort of make me feel tense and think, oh God, that is a really important, it could be from like a really big brand or something that would say like, hey, we'd love to work with you. And my sort of, I'd be like, okay, let's drop everything and reply to them. Whereas now I'm like, 
Whew, okay, that's a cool email. Looking forward to replying to that in the morning. So now I push all of that to the next morning. I get so much more done because I just sit and I just reel off all these things. And then if I get to my inbox zero before the time is up, I then do like website updates or reply to some social media stuff. And it's it's genuinely that couple of hours in the morning. And also I feel like I can, I'm sending out emails and because a lot of the people that I'm replying to are still asleep, they're not replying. So it's great. I'm not, I've not got that backwards because I used to reply in the day and then they'd reply back again. And I'd be like, ah. Mm. So it'd be like a backwards and forwards. And I think just that small switch. So I think it's just finding out, trying to pinpoint what it is that makes you feel stressed or, and then moving it to the next day. (laughs) Well, it sounds like time management is one piece of the puzzle and that you've really tackled that. Is there anything that you focus on in social media to try to stay positive and, you know, deal with anxiety through, I guess, you know, uh, restricting social media or how do you approach it? Because you're so popular on social media, you, you have to have these pressures that, you know, to constantly be posting and curating and all of that. And I would imagine that creates another level of anxiety. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm still figuring it out massively because I think some days I'm just refreshing, or especially days when I've posted things and you're like, this is it. This is going to be really popular. People are going to love it. And you post it and it's crickets and you're like, what? and then you doubt yourself and you're like, well, and then you're like, well, it's this damn algorithm and I've posted it at the wrong time or, or it's the caption underneath it. And it just becomes, I think, I think I'm getting better at Instagram is just a, I'm trying my best not to take it to heart because the more it's in terms of growing, I've got to kind of a point where I don't seem to be able to keep growing. I'm kind of just staying the same. And I think it was my, it, it sort of became everything that I did. Everything that I was doing was like, well, I'll need to post this and I'll need to do that. And we'd go on vacations and I'd have my posting things for the trip and like when, at what times I needed to do stuff. And I'd feel physically sick for like two weeks before going away because I had so much to do and it took the fun out of like looking forward to going away because I'd be like well I need to take this because if I'm going to take a picture when we're on the beach then I need to do that and it was like this is stupid there's no (laughs) there's no actual like fun in anything and I think also creatively it was stunting me because instead of doing stuff that I really really loved I was doing stuff that I thought other people would love so I was creating pieces of I, I was I was drawing stuff just to post on Instagram, which obviously I need to do if I want to have a, like a following on Instagram, but it should be, I think I was having a, a, a bit of a panic attack one day and I was talking to my husband, Johnny, and I was like, but I need to post this and I need to do that. And he was like, well, do the stuff you want to do and, and share that. So now I do more of, I want to draw this. So I'll post the process of it right? rather than creating specific things that, and I'd spend like hours and hours setting out like flat lays of things and stuff and absolutely nothing Insta about it. Yeah. I did notice, I didn't, I mean, I've gone through a lot of your social media and I did notice that evolution of maybe more organic posting Mm. that's happening. And I think as a, an influencer like yourself, uh, you, you probably have to at certain times have posts that are you know, highly curated and they're, you know, they're designed to help your brand. But I love the way you're incorporating just organically your process and through your blogs as well, you know, opening up, becoming vulnerable and becoming more human to the people that are buying your work. That has to be 
helping with sales uh, down the road, but more importantly, helping you just be more at peace with the work that you do and the life that you're living. Yeah, absolutely. I'd, I'd find that, especially in New York, I think when things started picking up for me on, on social media, I would spend days, I can remember I drew this, like um, it was like a grid of strawberries and I'd gone to the art shop, which was like an hour walk to get this stuff that I wanted to try out on top of it. And it, it wasn't about like experimenting for the art. It was because I wanted the, this Instagram picture to look nice. So I'd like walked there and back and I'd painted this thing and I'd set up all these things around it that were clearly not what my desk looked like because I couldn't have got around them all to paint it. You realize, and then it, but it did go well and people liked it. And then, so there's that. That's the biggest negative, I think, about the social media bit for me is that the more I would love to just draw stuff, take pictures and post them. But I've found that if they're not neat and tidy and bright and colorful, then they don't always get that. And, and it's not that people don't like them, people unfollow you. So it's, it's, <laughs> it's, I, I don't think I've unfollowed. I think there's a couple of people where they've, ethically done things wrong enough that oh, I don't want to follow them anymore yeah but I don't I don't ever see another thing and think mm, that's not I don't like I don't enjoy that so I'm going to unfollow them but they do people do and that also makes it so personal because you think I spent time doing that and it's right. offended you so much that you don't want to see anything else I ever do <laughs> <laughs> so yeah it's um there's a whole psychology behind it and it's I'm still not I'm still not working it out but I think I think the older I get the wiser I get to the fact that it's so fickle and that it, it, you shouldn't take it to heart and that you might have, there's some accounts out there with absolutely wonderful work with a couple of thousand followers because they haven't had the lucky breaks of somebody sharing it or, mm -hmm. and I think now there's just so much competition on there as well. And, and I don't think people are using social media and, and people are using social media, but I don't think Instagram is being used in the same way. I think people swipe through things quite quickly and they get there two seconds. I, just to give you an example, I, I posted something a couple of days ago and um, uh, it was like, it, I was painting some flamingos and I posted it on Instagram TV and it was a couple of minutes long, which was still sped up from, I don't know how, I think it was about 20 minutes in real life and then sped up. And it it got sort of like there was almost nothing people a few people like this is great thanks <laughs> and moved on and it had I don't know I think it got to a couple of thousand views and I was like this is annoying because I really like this video and I really thought it was going to be something that people would enjoy because it's quite therapeutic I've I'd basically drawn all the pencil elements and then just went in with ink and painted over it so it was aesthetically it was pretty it was like nice bright colors so I thought this is maybe I just posted it too late so I tried again, but I posted it on Reels and I shortened it to 30 seconds. So it's like zzz, really fast. And it had reached, um, I, think, I don't know what it's on now, but it, it had, I don't know, it was three or four times more views than the other one had had in maybe two hours. Mm -hmm. And I think it's, it's all the people don't want to sit for two minutes watching something. They'd much rather sit for 30 seconds. And it, it's sad, but I think that's the, the truth. There's just so much content out there that people don't, haven't got time to waste time watching yeah. me doodling. That's our reality. Yeah. And I think <laughs> that the people that are going to succeed in this new world of shortened attention spans are going to have to understand that and pivot and just be ready to adapt like you're doing. Mm. Uh, so what are you 
uh, planning on doing in London? Do you have any plans to do something different or is it kind of the same approach with uh, retail and commissions and commercial work out of London? I'd love to work with some British brands. It's been, it's been a long time. So it's yeah, more exhibitions. I've got, I'm, I'm lucky enough to have lots of, lots of shops in Wales that sell my stuff, but not so many in England. I've never really, really kind of pushed selling stuff in Scotland and, and England. So I'd like to get some more, more shops selling my stuff, but yeah, more exhibitions, some, some fun. I'd love to do some collaborations. I don't, I don't get to do enough with real people as well. And I think that's why I love the pop-ups and stuff because I get interactions with people because I am, I know everyone's by themselves now, but in real life, normally I'm by myself for really long hours. So these pop-ups and things are really a, a good way for me to not only just interact with people, but also to get feedback because it's easy for people to click like on something and me to think, oh, they like it. But when you speak to them in real life and they go, do you know what? I like it, but I wish that that was pink and that was that wasn't as orange and and you get really nice sort of honest feedback from people and ideas as well. People are like, Oh, you should do this. And I'm like, okay, I'll write that down. Yeah. So it's, yeah. Real human connections. Exactly. And you can't underestimate it. It's, I guess everybody knows that now, but yeah, it's important. (laughs) Well, uh, your social media presence, let's go through. So the listeners know where to find you. You have a website, Nikki Pilkington.com. N I K I pilkington.com yeah and you're on instagram at nikki pilkington right yeah that's it yeah one k n i k i p i l k i n g t o n (laughs) great and then uh, facebook is nikki pilkington illustration yeah and uh at nikki pilkington for twitter etsy and linkedin yeah yeah my etsy is etsy.com forward slash shop forward slash nikki pilkington but it's all linked on my instagram and things yeah, appreciate that. Excellent. Nikki, it's been so fun talking to you. Thanks for opening <laughs> up about your life. It's fascinating. <laughs> oh, thank you. It's been lovely to chat to you. I wish my background was as interesting as yours. <laughs> oh, it's lovely. It's lovely. <laughs> All right. Have a wonderful evening. And you too. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you. Hey, thank you for listening. And I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If so, I have a favor to ask. Can you go to wherever you listen to podcasts and leave me a review? Your feedback is what keeps this podcast going. You can also check us out on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook with the handle at DreamPathPod. And as always, go find your dream path.